0: rain, so we can't uh, can't knock rain. Actually, the temperature's not that bad, it must be close to 50, uh, along with the rain, so I feel blessed anyway. <clears throat> well, we've come in our story of the study of the patriarchs, and God having instructed us to look to them for how to conduct our lives, down to Joseph now. God worked through Abraham, through Isaac, Jacob, and then we will find that he began to work through the twelve sons of Jacob, primarily through Joseph, or almost entirely through Joseph. And then when Joseph had two sons, God worked almost entirely through one of them rather than the other. So God makes his choices, and he does his work as he so chooses. Well, let's pick up the story t- today of Joseph, the oldest son of Rachel. She only had two, and Rachel, of course, was the wife that Jacob had. De- I mean, yeah, Jacob had uh, desired from the very beginning, and though he had children by several different women, uh, he was partial to Joseph, number one, and to his younger brother Benjamin, also of Rachel. And we'll see that developing in the story here, (coughs) you'd wonder, in a way, why would God only give Jacob two sons through his favored wife, the others through handmaids, and and Leah, who was the older sister they had to marry first. Uh, Well, God had a work to do. He had a purpose to do. So he chooses through whom he will work, and he has his plan figured out way, way, way ahead of time. So even though Rachel did not have a lot of children, a lot of sons, she certainly had the most prominent of Jacob's sons. Jacob dwelt here in chapter 37 of Genesis in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. So, he goes on to explain then that Joseph was 17 years old, and he was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now, this story starts quite early in Joseph's life. And, remarkably, he is still a very, very young man when he reaches the zenith of his career. So uh, we have been criticized sometimes, and worldwide years ago, for sending out young men to go into the ministry. But that's all there was. <laughs> there just wasn't anybody else. Uh, you didn't bring old men with families and businesses in, for the most part, to college to train them. Uh, they used young men and trained them properly instead of taking when they were already 40, 50, 60, years, 70 years old and full of Protestantism or Catholicism or something, uh, and trained them young. Of course, with that came other hazards, uh, young men not being able sometimes to have the life experience and, and wisdom in that sense of having lived longer. So it's kind of a mixed bag. And God did try people before he used them. And we'll find even in Joseph's life that though he was quite young, he was tried quite severely. And he had a very tumultuous childhood. Anyway, he was feeding the flocks with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought to his father their evil report. So... Joseph was a favorite of his father's from the very beginning, and things were not going well there with his brothers, so he brought in a report to his father, and it was not a good report of what his brothers were doing. Before continuing the story, though, it says Now Israel, or Jacob, who now was called Israel, loved Joseph more than all his children. Because he was the son of his old age. Well, he was late in coming. Uh, He had many, many children before Rachel ever had Joseph. So it was partly old age and partly uh, that it came from Rachel, who was the woman that he loved. And he made him a coat of many colors. Uh, So this was a special coat that was made probably from uh, wool I would assume from the sheep that was the thing that they used the most you don't use goat hair much for goats uh, or or cattle you can make leather but as far as garments that are warm and uh, provide this was probably of wool and dyed many different colors Uh, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So they saw the favoritism early, and Joseph was persecuted all his life by his brothers. Now, he had 11 of them, uh, and, well, Benjamin younger, but 10 who were older. And they hated him with a passion. You talk about a tough growing up period. He was derided, he was accused, he was hated, he was made fun of, uh, he was treated with disdain and contempt and hatred. Now he had this coming from all his brothers, and it was a continual barrage and bombardment that came down on Joseph. Joseph. Now, you would think that through all that, Joseph would have developed some very strong personality problems, but we'll find later on he had a very, very strong personality and had influence with people almost seemingly automatically. So he had been abused. He was an abused child, if you want to put it in modern language, abused not by his father, Uh, favorited by his father which sometimes can also spoil and ruin a child so even favoritism can be an abuse of sorts and then the hatred and animosity that he dealt with throughout his childhood and teenage years uh, must have been quite a burden so they could not speak peaceably to him not a kind word for Joseph everything angry Bitter, mean, continually. Now, if you think that wasn't bad, keep reading. <laughs> Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. It just made it even worse. They hated him more, and he said to them, "Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed." Now, is this another dream? That's very possible. He, he may have told them one dream and they hated him even worse. And it's possible that this next one that he explains to them is not the same one, but maybe an additional one. It's not really clear here in the context. Uh, so this may be the explanation of what the first dream was. Anyway, in verse 6, he said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Now, I'm sure he knew he would be facing opposition on this because he was opposed to everything he did but to him this dream was so important and so impressive and so clear that he felt he had to tell his brothers whether they liked it or not you ever have to tell somebody something you knew they weren't going to like that's not a very fun chore it's just not because you usually are despised or ignored or whatever. So he says, Hear this dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance or bowed to or uh, showed respect to my sheaf. Now this was just the opposite of the way things were. Uh, His brothers were always down on him, and he was made to do what his brothers told him to do. Because when you have ten or eleven bullies on your back all the time, uh, they take your lunch money. (laughs) You know, uh, you do what they say. And this dream was just the opposite of that. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? I'm sure that was said with a great deal of sarcasm and hate and anger. (laughs) You're going to rule over us? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the way it's been all these years, hasn't it, Joseph? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? That's a laugh. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Uh, That right there might indicate that this was a second dream. Uh, He had dreamed one and told them they hated him, then he he gave them this one where uh, it it was an indication, and they got it immediately, that our sheaves are bound to yours, yeah, you bet, buddy. Uh, So, his dreams and for his words. So he not only told the dream, but he must have explained it and told them how it would be uh, according to the dream. I think they got the message right off the bat, but he must have done some explaining as well, because they didn't like his words either. How do you like to be hated? That's not a very good feeling. And to be hated all your life uh, is a very, very difficult situation to live with. (laughs) Anyway, verse 9, he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brothers... And said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So now it's, <laughs> it's even bigger. Not just his brothers, but the sun and the moon and the stars. The eleven, 11 stars here. So he told it to his father and to his brothers And his father rebuked him, though even his father didn't care for the dream. Said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Now, I'm sure by this time Jacob knew of the original dreams and how he was to rule over his brothers, because I'm sure they would have gone to daddy and told him that his favorite son was off his rocker. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to you, to the earth? So Jacob interpreted this as meaning he he was the sun and Rachel was the moon. The stars uh, could be not only the eleven, but... uh, Perhaps that is expanded because there are lots and lots of stars, and from these these sons and from Joseph in particular, and Ephraim in particular were to come a great number of people. So that is also part of the story. In fact, if you go back to Revelation 12 for a moment, we see this carried out in the Book of Revelation. So uh, it is working toward the end time and God's ultimate plan of salvation in the end times here, that all of this has to do with. Even as Paul said, all these things written in the Old Testament were for our benefit upon whom the ends of the world will come. Anyway, the the church has just been, uh, well, it's talking about the two witnesses in chapter 11. And chapter 12 deals with the church and what happens just as... uh, They began their message. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now here, uh, the woman is represented as the sun and twelve stars. She being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Now we know from several different prophecies that the church here in the end time would be trying to bring forth Christ in its life. That we would be giving birth to Christ, uh, that our strain, our toll, our, our toil, our difficulties in life here at the end time are in bringing forth the character of Christ. So it's, it's likened to birth and how the woman uh, travails to give birth to Christ. Now Christ has already been born long ago as a human and is back with his Father in heaven. So the toil and trials that the church is going through is not in the actual uh, physical birth of Christ, but in the spiritual birth, trying to bring forth Christ in our lives. And the twelve stars represent, of course, the twelve tribes. uh, And the church represents the twelve tribes. Now, the Gentiles were included in it, so the Gentiles have been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, made part of the branches, grafted in to the church, so God has placed them spiritually within a specific tribe. So it doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or, or black or brown or what, uh, God places you in one of the tribes of Israel because uh, there are 12,000 of each tribe there among the 144,000. And uh, they aren't all blood Zebulonites or Gadites or Ephraimites, as some would have you think, because the 12 apostles who were put over the 12 tribes forevermore, some of them were brothers. So they couldn't have been from separate tribes. They had common fathers and mothers. So God had made them, if they were born Gadites, or let's say, or uh, uh, one that I was thinking of that a lot of them came from, uh, uh, then spiritually speaking, God put them in the tribe he wanted them in. If he was born a Zebulonite and God put him over the tribe of Reuben, then he became spiritually a Reubenite. Follow me? <coughs> So when somebody comes into the church who might be of Gentile blood, God puts them spiritually in one of those tribes as part of the 144,000. So anyway, going on here, here's the woman which represents the church. Well, who represents the Son? The Father and Christ. Well, she was clothed with the Son. So it's a woman she is not the sun here, but she's clothed with it. In other words, she has the attention, the oversight, the spirit, the power of the Father and the Son. So she's clothed with the sun. She doesn't represent the sun. And the moon under her feet, uh, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now it might be here that the sun represents the Father, and the moon under her feet could possibly even represent Christ. Now, why would Christ be represented in even in symbolism being under the church's feet? I think that's quite simple. He has made himself the servant of us all. We wash his feet, and he is willing to wash our feet. He made himself a servant at that last Passover and got down and washed the apostles' feet. So even though he's over us, he also has made himself in the form of a servant. So on her head then was a crown of twelve stars. She represents the 144,000, the twelve tribes of 12,000 each. Now that is a future thing there because uh, when this setting is given... She's still trying to bring forth Christ. She's travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And at the same time here in this particular prophecy, there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And he drew the stars of heaven, the demons, to devour her child as soon as it was born. So as we try to bring forth Christ in our lives, he's there to prevent us. He's there to prevent the church from doing the job she's been given to do here at the end time. We see that clearly in Zechariah 3. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So this is a prophecy that kind of goes back and forth through time with the physical, but it always points to the end time spiritual. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So the church is taken into a place in the wilderness prepared of God and that's very, very clear throughout the scriptures and many times in Psalms that that place of refuge prepared for her is Zion. It is the place of refuge in scripture, not Peter or anywhere else, but Zion. And then there was war in heaven, and, and you know the story here, and how Christ uh, was to protect the church, but uh, she has to flee, as Matthew twenty-four says, and the Satan would then send an army after her, and it would be destroyed, and she would make it to a place of safety, or at least the ones accounted worthy would, and some might not. <coughs> we won't go further with that story, but understand that this story back here in the dream that Joseph had was not just for that day and not just for those brothers then. Uh, It is an end time that is taken clear through to the book of Revelation and ultimately the 144,000 who come down as the uh, bride of Christ and the holy city. That's what it's pointing to. And Joseph here, we will see in the story, becomes the one who provides the help and assistance for his brothers that keeps all Israel alive, if you will, all of Jacob's sons. And we will see that that also will carry through here to the end time, that all the other tribes, all the other people whom God is calling here at the end are going to come to one place to be protected and fed, just as they were in Joseph's day. So this is being enacted out in the early days of Jacob, Israel, and through one of his sons, as we shall see, that, that thread will continue. So God is going to put Joseph through a great deal of things here to make him battle-hardened and ready. And it started really early in his life. Of, of none of the other patriarchs do we have such a story. Uh, God picks up their lives later on and begins to use them. You know, Noah was an old man when God told him to go build an ark and uh, Abraham was already a grown man and so on uh, when God called him. And so it was with all of them, uh, Isaac being a bit of a different situation uh, when he was probably still a young man when uh, he was sent to be sacrificed. But with Joseph, it started very, very early and continued, and his life was very difficult. Isaac's was not in the same way with Abraham looking over him. Anyway, back to uh, the story. Uh, You mean your mother and I and all your brothers are going to bow down and worship you? Verse 11, and his brethren envied him. So here with the hate comes the jealousy. Well, the jealousy had been there all along, but now they were even more jealous of him. And jealousy itself can create all kinds of hazards. But his father thought about the saying. He said, well, I wonder if there's something here that needs to be considered. Now, he didn't know at this point, but he knew the history of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, his own father. And he knew how God had worked through specific men to bring about specific goals and purposes. So with that knowledge and that background, Here was his favorite son and the only of those sons that the rest of the brothers hated. And yet, he loved Joseph. So, in his mind, he's computing all this and thinking, I wonder if God has a particular use for Joseph. That had to come to his mind. Anyway, He was thinking about it. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, another thing we might pan forward here just a little bit. Jacob, or I mean Joseph now, is about to appear to have died. And Jacob thought he was dead. So he probably kind of forgot about this dream. uh, Saying, well, I guess there wasn't anything going on here. My son's dead. So how could there be of any value? So I'm, I'm sure this was pushed uh, to the back of his mind and maybe even for the time being forgotten with what happened later. So his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, Do not your brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. Now he had brought an evil report back the bad news to his father from his brothers before and that did not endear him to them and now he's been being sent again to check on his brothers and bring a report back report back to dad and after all he had been through I think here is an amazing attitude he says what do you want dad here I am now, you will have noticed have you not that very often when we see someone who is a servant of God, he is right there on the spot, ready to do whatever he is asked to do. The words, here am I, were used, I think, by Abraham, perhaps even by Isaac and Jacob, I don't remember specifically, by, uh, by Samuel, here I am, I'm ready. Having that spirit of readiness, of willingness... Our attitudes prepared to do whatever it is that God calls us or wants us to do is the attitude we need to have. Here I am. I'm ready. What do you want? Let's go. Let's get it done. An attitude of service in spite of all the opposition he had faced and probably knew he would face again when he saw his brothers and began to compile his report in his mind that he would take back to his dad. Anyway, he said to him, verse 14, Go, I pray you, see whether it be well with your brothers and how the flocks are doing, and bring me word. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering around. <laughs> He knew he was to find them in Shechem, but he couldn't find them there. So he was wandering about Shechem, saying, Where are my brothers? And so the man asked him, What are you looking for? And he said, I seek my brothers. Tell me, I ask you, where they feed their flocks. Where, where are they? They're gone. The man said, They are departed, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Well, he didn't just say, well, they're not in Shechem, I'm going home. His dad had told him, I want to report, so he stuck with it. He, there's a, another characteristic that is very good for us. Uh, Jacob had persevered in his wrestling with Christ. He had persevered greatly in his life. And uh, some of that gene obviously had come down through Joseph, who was going to get this job done. He didn't care where he had to go, and if it was Dothan, that was okay. He was going to get the job done. So whatever God asks you to do, be sure you hang around and get it done. And when they saw him far off, even before he came near to him or them, they conspired against him to slay him. Here comes that run of a brother of ours, we're out here. Dad's not around. I think we ought to kill him. They said one to another, Here comes the dreamer. So there was a lot of sarcasm and animosity here. That was one of the things they called him, the dreamer. And that in the Hebrew, it means the master of dreams. So I'm, said that was said, I'm sure that was said with an acid tongue. Here comes the master of dreams. Shall we kill him? May have been said as a sarcastic joke the first time, but it kind of caught on. Come now, therefore, let's kill him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. <laughs> a dead man doesn't dream dreams, a man, dead man doesn't fulfill dreams. We'll take care of this problem. Now, this dreamer is going to be shut up, and uh, we'll blame it on a lion or a bear. Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, No, nah, no, nah, let's don't go that far. Let's let's not kill him. So Reuben didn't like him either, but he wasn't ready to go that far with it. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So he thought, I'll get them to dump him in this pit, and they'll think he's going to stay there and die of thirst and starvation. But uh, when they're not looking, I'll throw him out and I'll send him home to daddy. So he wasn't willing to see him die there. So it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren, that they stripped him out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty and no water. And they sat down to eat bread. doesn't appear that they uh, fed him. They just threw him in the pit with no water, no food. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And guess who's going to say, I think there's a few coins to be made here. (laughs) Judah put it together pretty quick we got a guy here and here comes some Ishmaelites going down to market he said to his brothers what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood what do we gain by that we don't get a thing out of it let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content Now, Judah had been on the deal to kill him up to this point, but if he could turn it into money, uh, there's profit. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Mitzrayim. So, God had this all worked out. Uh, He had the Ishmaelites and the Midianites coming ahead of time, didn't he? They were already on their way. So when Joseph got there, uh, the specific plan at a specific time happened. He didn't sit in the pit for three or four days and die of thirst. Uh, These people came right up even while they were still sitting there eating, apparently. God is precise. He has a time. He has a framework. He does things specifically just as he works them out ahead of time. Don't ever forget that, because here we sit, like Habakkuk did, saying, When is God going to do all this? How long, O Lord? But there are many, many examples in the Bible, and God was working in the life of Joseph, even as he is in our lives, and he will do everything split-second timing when it is right for it to be done. It is we who have the patience and faith problem. But here's another example in Joseph's life about how God can work these things out for those with whom he is working. So, verse 29, Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. So Reuben uh, must have gone off somewhere uh, while this transpired. I don't know how far he would have gone. Maybe he went out to mine the sheep or something to check on them, because uh, he was far enough away he didn't see the Ishmaelites coming. But he went to the pit, and he thought they'd taken him out and killed him, obviously. He returned to his brother and said, The child is not, and I, where shall I go? What will I do? You killed him, I didn't, but I'll get tarred with the same brush. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the goat in the blood. So there's a conspiracy going on here. That conspiracy theory uh, is not always a theory. (laughs) They conspired. They got together, decided to kill him. Then when they sold him, they decided that it would appear as if he was dead. They didn't want to admit they'd sold him either. So it was a conspiracy that led to his father thinking he was dead. They sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father says, Oh, look what we found. Is this Joseph's? (laughs) Lies and more lies. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast has devoured him, and Joseph is without dead, without doubt, rent in pieces. So he began to mourn. And so on. Anyway, the Midianites in verse thirty six sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So when they got there they sold him to the head of the FBI, or the CIA or, you know, the equivalent thereof in Egypt. So he was in the hands of the cops right off the bat. That must have scared him too. You know, here I am, I've been sold, and these guys are taking me, and now they've sold me to the highest bidder, and it happens to be the head of the Pharaoh's uh, military. And usually you kind of fear military. So... Uh, The trauma that Joseph went through uh, seems never ended. Uh, I'll I'll skip chapter 38. It's about Judah who went out uh, and then had a, a child by Tamar and so on. It isn't part of the story of Joseph and his character, which is the point here. So let's skip chapter 38 and come down to 39. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, who had brought him. Now, verse 2, were were you in this position, you'd always been hated, and now your brothers had sold you, and you got sold to an Egyptian military man. Would you be feeling that you were under God's blessing at that point? I doubt that would go through your mind much. Now, God raised up a work here at the end time in the land of Joseph, specifically of Ephraim, and he called us to be part of it. And he has shown us throughout the scriptures that he has a work to do here at the end, and yet the church was blown apart. It has almost been destroyed. Uh very little of it left it's almost as if it's dead and accomplishing almost nothing and each and every group has diminished and diminished including this one till there's not much left now do we feel like God is blessing us I kind of doubt it now you can kid yourself and whistle in the dark and say God has been blessing us But for the most part, he has been cursing the church. When you spew it out of your mouth, uh, you feel spewed. And when Joseph got thrown in the pit by all his brothers, he felt persecuted. And when he got sold into Egypt, he felt persecuted some more. Now, while the church has been under this curse for disobedience and Laodiceanism, God's plan is still going on behind the scenes. And here we find that even Joseph, under these dire conditions in which he found himself, God let him go through an awful lot of trouble, and his trouble isn't even over yet. And yet God, it says, blessed him. Now, I think we, right here, even under the curses God has put on the church at this time, has blessed us with an awful lot of information and knowledge and understanding, Of what he is going to do, is about to do, and though he has not yet started it in a way that is noticeable to the world, uh, he started it in a way that was noticeable to us, and then it seemed to go downhill where where we find ourselves today. Joseph was a favorite of his father, and everything was hunky-dory except for those pesky brothers, and now he finds himself a slave in Egypt. But even in all that, God blessed Joseph. He was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Mitzriamite. And his master saw that the Eternal was with him and that the Eternal made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, that guy didn't know God. He had no idea who God was. But he must have had talks with Joseph or something and Joseph may have told him of the God of his fathers. And... Pharaoh I mean this guy saw Joseph, just a slave, uh performing well, and he says, Boy, your God must be with you. Because normally this isn't what happens with a slave. What does a slave do? Cleans the tiles and washes the clothes and makes the food and kills the animals. Now here's Joseph living in Potiphar's own house, a personal slave, and uh He seemed to be in good spirits, seemed to be cheery, seemed to have a blessed life. We'll find that of Joseph, that no matter what circumstance he found himself in, he managed to have a positive, upbeat, good attitude that attracted others. It attracted his slave slave owner, Potiphar. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. So Joseph was, had such a personality about him, such a willingness, such an attitude of service, and an amicable personality, that he was put not only over the house, but everything that Potiphar owned, all of his investments, all of his flocks and herds, all of his employees, his business. He was high in the Egyptian government, but he also was a wealthy man. Uh, Verse 5, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Eternal blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So the more Joseph performed, the more Potiphar's house got blessed. And the blessing of the eternal was all that he had in the house and in the field. So, Potiphar could see that the source of the good that was coming to him came from Joseph. Now, why does God tell us to be a city or a light on a hill so that the world may see us and see the light? Joseph was living that. He was a light to all those around him, including his boss, his owner and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not what he had save the bread which he did eat (laughs) Joseph was managing everything and Potiphar didn't even know what he owned or where he owned it or how much he had or what his wealth was all he knew was he had plenty to eat Joseph provided and, and he had plenty and so he didn't even bother to count what he had And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Now I think this is incredible, and that's why I laid the background with how evil and nasty his brothers had been to him all his life, how he had been abused and misused and even spoiled by his father, which is in itself a form of abuse, and yet he had turned out with a very balanced, uh, likable personality that got along well with people, well-favored. That's an anomaly, (laughs) that he could come through what he had been through and still be a well-balanced personality. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. And she said, sleep with me. Now, he had impressed Potiphar. He had impressed the rest of the household, and God had blessed him, and uh, the wife began to kind of make make notice of that too. She she kind of liked Joseph. Now he was I don't know how old Potiphar was. He was high in the government. He may have been somewhat older, and Potiphar's wife may have been quite a bit older than Joseph. Remember, he was seventeen when he got sold, and he hadn't been around very long. He was thirty when he was when the family, the feast the, the good seven years started. So between 17 and 30, all of this transpired. uh, And he hadn't been in prison for seven years yet at this point, so he was still quite young. So she wanted a toy boy, apparently. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. Uh, This man has done wonderfully with me and has blessed me and put me over everything he's got. There is none greater in this house than me. I'm right under Potiphar. Neither has he kept back anything from me, but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he he didn't want to hurt Potiphar, and he didn't want to sin against God either, which was the biggest thing. And it came to pass, as she spoke to Joseph every day, day by day, Hey, Joseph, let's go have some fun. Uh, So she was doing her very, very best to seduce him every day that went by. But he hearkened not to her to lie by her or to be with her or to have a physical relationship with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. So he was in and out uh, in the fields, the flocks, the employees, and in the house, which was where his office was. And when he went in this particular time, there was nobody there. Now, this woman had been trying to seduce him for quite some time and had been unsuccessful. There is a phrase for that. It's called, a woman scorned. Her lust and her desire uh, had begun to turn to hatred and to scorn. So she caught him by his garment saying, Sleep with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. <laughs> Though she she wasn't just trying to seduce him with words. Now she actually physically grabbed hold of him and said, Let's do this thing. And then when he fled, that, that woman scorned, really came out she's standing there holding the garment in her hand and he was running naked out the door or I don't know what garment whether he had undergarments or what it's neither here nor there she was standing there with a torn garment that had probably ripped right off him as he left and she said aha he won't do what I want I'll fix his wagon She called the men of her house. They weren't even in the house, but she got them together. Spoke to them, saying, See, he's brought in a Hebrew to us to mock us. He's one of these wretched Hebrews, a slave. Uh, And he came to me and tried to rape me, and I cried with a loud voice. I screamed, I hollered, and nobody heard me. It came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he fled... He uh, left his garment with me and fled and got him out. So he says he was trying to do this and and uh, he ran when he when I screamed, which is total lie. Uh, that happens these days too. They accuse when there's nothing to accuse of. But that's what she did. It came to pass when he heard that he lifted up my voice, he cried and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. So she hung on to that, that one piece of evidence she was going to use. Lying witness, lying evidence, but it's what she had. She spoke to him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which you brought to us came in to me to mock me. And and I lifted up my voice and cried, Rape, rape, rape. And he ran and left his garment with me and fled out. So it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke, After this manner did your servant to me, that his anger was kindled. Of course, he's going to believe his wife, right? Man tends to believe his wife. Well, sometimes they lie. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. So things were looking up, weren't they? And then they turned bad again. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way it's been with the church. And things looked good, then they turned bad. Then we came out here, and things began to look good again. And then things turned, and now they kind of look bad again, if, you, if you're looking at the things that have happened. But is that what we're to do? Are we to worry because things look bad right now? No, we need to be seeking God and trying to serve Him the very, very best we can. And then even if things look bleak, we know God is there and He says He will never leave nor forsake us. And He will do what He has promised to do. Now let's continue with this story and see how it so much fits. Why did God spend these chapters on it? (laughs) Because we're here today and we need the lessons. Okay, Uh, he was put in prison. His master was angry. Now, things looked very, very bleak as he sat there in the prison. Probably wasn't a really good accommodation. Dungeons and prisons in those days tended to be full of, uh, they called them slime pits. They didn't have uh, flush plumbing and they didn't have showers. And uh, you sat in your own slime, if you get the picture. So there he was. Woe is me. He had been thrown into a pit by his brothers, and now he got thrown into a pit uh, that was even worse. So it was looking pretty bleak. But the Eternal was with Joseph, and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Seems like everywhere Joseph went, uh, God was giving favor, yes. Yes but favor to a man who had the kind of engaging personality who was not angry, who was not mean, who was not uh, selfish, but who was friendly and helpful and giving and serving. Had to have been, because prison keepers don't usually favor you unless you do things that get their attention and show them, hey, you know, this guy isn't so bad after all. He's not a hardened criminal. Maybe I got some use for him. So the keeper of the prison committed a Joseph's hand to Joseph's hands all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatever they did there, he was the doer of it. So in his master's house, he had been given uh, domination and control of everything. Then he goes to prison, and he becomes in charge of everything in the prison. Just like Potiphar, the prison keeper, sat back and didn't have anything to do or anything to worry about because Joseph took care of everything. Wouldn't it be nice if we could come to have the favor of God to the point that we served Him, loved Him, were always helpful, and He shows that we do that in the way that we treat our brethren because Christ said, the way you treat me is the way you treat the brethren, or how you treat them is how I view the way you treat me. So Joseph was good to the employees and the people in Potiphar's house. He was good to the prisoners. And therefore, those in charge took note of him. It would be so wonderful if each of us could be so giving, so sharing, so serving, so loving, so competent so willing, so sacrificing, that God would take note of us and say, I want you in charge. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to serve me in this position here. You know, he's going to put people, as the analogy is of Christ, that some would be over a city, some over five, some over ten, and so on. So some of those that God calls are going to be so loving, so serving, so giving, so helpful that they're going to be placed in charge of more. They will be given more responsibility and more reward in that sense. So, it pays to have the right type of personality that people tend to gravitate toward because you're giving, serving, loving, kind, gentle, friendly all the things that Joseph must have been. So it says it in verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. He didn't worry about a thing. Because the Eternal was with Joseph, and that which he did, the Eternal made it to prosper. I'd love for us to be in a position where everything we do, God would cause to prosper. What did he tell Joshua when he sent him into the promised land? He told him, was it Moses or God, told him, Uh, to to read the law of God to study the word of God every day and so shall you have good success in other words the more we pay attention to what God says and keep it in mind the better things are going to go for us because God's way is the best way anyway uh, Joseph had come to be number two in the prison just as he had in Potiphar's house Pretty pretty dynamic story here. Verse chapter 40, came to pass after these things, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, or of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh was angry against those two, and he put them in the prison, uh, the place where Joseph was bound. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued to season there in prison. So, Immediately, the captain of the guard said, Pharaoh's angry with these two. He sent them down here. Uh, You take care of them. And he served them. Now, does that remind you of Revelation 12 a little bit? Where Christ might be the moon under the feet, in that sense, of the church. He is there to serve them, just as Joseph was there, and he served not every, not only everybody else in prison, but these two that had almost died, but got sent to prison instead. So Joseph was willing to serve no matter who. Verse 5, They dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. Same night, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Mithraim which were bound in the prison. And uh, so they both had a dream, same night. Then Joseph came into them in the morning. He was looking after them. He was there to serve, to help, uh, in charge. Uh, He wasn't treated like a normal prison guard in some of our prisons today where the prisoners would kill you if you showed up. Uh, Those prisoners loved him. He, He walked freely among them, came to help them. He looked upon them and beheld they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, why do you look sad today? Here was a man who was concerned and noticed the attitudes, the feelings, the lives of others. He, He read their faces. He read their body language. He was interested in them. You don't get along well with people unless you show some interest in them. You know, you don't like to be totally ignored by somebody like you're not even there. That's why we try to be friendly and say good morning or good afternoon, you know, when we see people. We want them to feel like we care about them, and we're willing to speak to them. They said to him, we've dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, do not, interpretations belong to God. Tell them, I pray you. uh, I worship God, maybe he'll show me what... This is all about. So Joseph had a very strong inclination to serving God. Uh, comes up all the time. So the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and he said, "Even my dream: behold, a vine was before me, and in the three in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes." And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup to Pharaoh. Joseph said, here's the interpretation. The three branches are three days. How would you get that out of it unless God was guiding you? Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you shall deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former matter when you were his butler. You're going to get your old job back. And then he put an addendum on there, or a P.S. Think on me when it shall be well with you, uh, and show kindness, I pray you, to me, and make mention of me to Pharaoh and bring me out of this place. I I don't want to stay in prison. I've been here, and you're getting out of here. You're going back to Pharaoh, and uh, I was a slave of Potiphar, but Pharaoh outranks Potiphar, and it sure would be nice if you'd put in a good word for me. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. I didn't let her seduce me. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, I was put here for the wrong reasons, and here I am. Now, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said, hey, (laughs) tell me my dream too. This sounds pretty good. I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three... Holy baskets, or baskets full of holes on my head, not white in the Hebrew. And in the uppermost basket, there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket on my head. So I had this holy basket, and it had all these pieces of bread and pastries and so on, and the birds ate them. Joseph answered and said, here's what it means. The three baskets are three days. And within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head from off you. Not not promote it, but lift it off you. And shall hang you on a tree, and the bird shall eat your flesh from off of you. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Again, see, God did these things right on time. He's right on time. He timed these dreams three days before Pharaoh's birthday. It could have been any time. But it was a day of celebration for Pharaoh, and he made a feast to all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. So he called them out of prison at his birthday party and uh, brought them forward. He restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Hey, I got my job back, everything's good. Completely forgot the guy that had told him he was going to be there, and had asked for help. How often do people say, oh yeah, I'll help you, and then they don't show. And this was a big deal to Joseph. He was in prison. And he stayed there for another two full years. Oh, so You know, he languished in prison. He was forgotten. But Pharaoh had a dream two years later. And he stood by the river and there came up out of the river seven well-favored cattle and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And then seven other cattle came up out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, skinny, and stood by the other uh, fat cows on the brink of the river. And the skinny... uh, rib-showing cattle, ate up the seven well-favored and fat cattle. And Pharaoh woke up. What's this? Got these fat cows, and then the skinny cows come and eat them. And he slept and dreamed again. And behold, seven ears of corn came upon one stalk. They were fat and good, full full full-eared. And behold, seven scraggly ears, blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven fat full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. Yeah, you know, those kind of dream like that would make you wonder, what is going on here? And he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt. Must have been a pretty uh, realistic dream. Must have been very, very uh, in technicolor, if you will. All the wise men there. And Pharaoh told them his dream... But there was nobody who could interpret them to Pharaoh. It reminds you of the story of Daniel, and how nobody could tell the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. But Daniel could. So God often put men that he was going to work with with leaders of nations or leaders of peoples or in very high authority, and they worked with them. That is a pattern that God has always done. Anyway, this triggered a thought in the butler's mind. Verse 9, Oh, I remember my faults today. I, 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 I promised a favor and I forgot all about it. Forgive me. Uh, Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in prison. Uh, me and the chief baker. And he's talking to the Pharaoh here. And we dreamed a dream one night, he and I, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream, And there was a young man, a Hebrew, servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams according to his dream. He interpreted. It came to pass that uh, I was restored and the other guy you hanged. Well, that was pretty, pretty good testimony to Pharaoh. So he sent and called Joseph and brought him hastily out of the dungeon. He says, get that guy up here. I want to talk to him. So he shaved himself. Uh, They didn't have electric razors or any kind in the prison. Uh, So his hair must have been down to his waist and his beard down to his navel. Uh, And he probably stunk and had fleas and lice. So he shaved and took a bath, I'm sure. Got on some clean clothes. Uh, He couldn't go into Pharaoh like that. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Look, I dreamed a dream, nobody can interpret, and I said, you can. Joseph said, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph always gives God credit. He never takes credit on himself. Daniel did the same. Uh, Men of God do that. It's it's God in me, it ain't me. Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river and told him about the cow's and uh, the corn. And I won't go through all that. We just read it. Uh, we get out to verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. These two dreams about the cows and about the corn are all about the same thing. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, isn't that what God told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel? What God was going to do and how it affected Nebuchadnezzar and how it would affect Israel and so on. So he told him the seven fat cows are seven years. The seven good corn ears are seven years. The dream is the same. The seven uh, skinny cows after seven years, uh, the seven empty ears are also seven years of famine. So the fat fat cows were of seven, and the skinny ones were seven. Uh, in both cases with the corn and the cattle, seven years each, seven fat years, seven lean years. This is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he shows Pharaoh. So, says, God's showing you what he's going to do, Pharaoh. And what did it do? It had to do with Joseph. It had to do ultimately with Jacob and his family and with all Israel is what it had to do with. But God was going to do it uh, in the knowledge and in the presence of Pharaoh. Just as he did with Moses and Pharaoh, as he did with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, as he did with several others. John the Baptist and Herod, for instance. So they were connected with people of prominence in one way or another. And the same thing is going to happen here in the end someone is going to discover the treasures of God and become very, very prominent in the world as a result of the wealth and the nature of the treasures of God, and they will be used to the benefit of God's church, going back to spiritual Israel. So the story will carry through, just as it always has in the past. So there come seven years of great plenty through the land of Egypt. And after that, seven years of famine. And then all the years of fatness and plenty will be forgotten, and the famine shall consume the land. Well, we had some fat years in Worldwide. Now we've had some pretty lean years. We had some pretty fat years where things seem to be going very well here, and now we've had some pretty lean years. Does history repeat? Does God form patterns? Does God do these things over and over? And the things that we've studied are going to be done just as they were with Joseph. Uh, So, it'll be a very grievous famine, he says. Verse 32, and for the dream that was doubled to Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So, he had not just one dream, but two dreams to emphasize that this was truly important and that God was going to do it. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. He says, this is going to be uh, an incredible thing, Joseph told him, that God is going to do. And you need somebody in charge here who can make sure things are taken care of. Let Pharaoh do this and appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. So 20% of everything that's produced will be laid back. Let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn in the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Uh, we'd call them preppers today. Preppers are looked down on by most in our society because they think that they are chicken little screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but it isn't. But you know good and well from having read the Scriptures that the sky indeed is falling and that we are going to have an economic crash, we are going to have a military takeover preceded by civil war and revolution, and that it is at the gates. And we need to be ready, spiritually ready. We don't necessarily need to prep physically as much as we do spiritually. Because God says when he gathers his people together, he says, come, have wine and milk without money. So, it isn't physical prep for us as much as it is spiritual prep. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a certain amount of physical preparation. I think we should. Uh, But the main preparation is spiritual. It's spiritual problems that God has caused the trouble uh, in the church over, not physical problems. Anyway, uh, so lay this up, be preppers. Verse 37, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all his servants. He says, well, this sounds like a good plan. Uh, why didn't we think of that? Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God is? You know, he tells us we need to find a good man to oversee all this. Can we find anybody? And especially someone who has the Spirit of God uh, that can perform. So Pharaoh... Looked around and he said to Joseph, Well, God has showed you all this. There is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your word shall all all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. You'll be second in command over everything in the land of Egypt or Mitzrium. Just as Daniel was second in command of everything under Nebuchadnezzar. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. Now, that's his signet ring. When a Pharaoh or a leader or a king uh, pressed that into the wax on a document, that was his seal. That was his signature. So he gave his signature ring to Joseph. Says Anything you stamp with this is the same as me doing it. You're in charge of everything. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. So things had looked pretty bad. He stayed there in the mire and the manure for seven years. And uh, was finally brought out and put in charge of everything. What a, what a seesaw. <laughs> up down, up and down, up and down. What a life. You know, if you look at the charts about people today of... Uh, Of things that you go through that have an impact on you I forget what they call it but if you go through the death of a loved one you go through a divorce, the death of a child, a a job loss a car wreck and so on they ascribe so many points for each one of those things on your, that have an impact on you, okay and if you have a certain number of points it says you're going to die you're going to get sick and you're going to die uh now, they'd applied that chart to Joseph's life. He was a man that was going to die. <laughs> you know, I, I looked, I've, I've read the articles about that, and I've looked at everything I've been through in my life, and I've been dead a long time. Uh, and you, you might have the same thing if you went through all the things that, that have gone on in your life. But it, as the points accrue, so do the chances of something terrible happening to you. So he had been up and down a lot now he was up uh, Is it two twenty already? I've been having fun here i but I've been reading it a lot too, so I guess it goes by faster anyway let's uh let's finish up what we're into here, and we'll have to come back to this uh. Gave him his ring, a gold chain, verse 43, and made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. He didn't get the uh, presidential plane, but he got the vice-presidential one. And they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So when Joseph would go somewhere in his chariot, everyone would say, bow down. So everywhere he went, everybody bowed down on the ground as he went by. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Everybody will do exactly as you say. You are the man in charge. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paaneah. I'd rather call him Joseph, I think. It's easier. And he gave him to wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So, he, got, he gave him a daughter of one of the highest uh, families in the land, the priest. And Joseph went out over all the land of Mitzriam. He was in charge. He traveled, went throughout. So everywhere he went, he was put in charge. Uh, whether with his brothers and him being the spy to dad, or whether it be in Potiphar's house, or whether it be in prison, Or in Pharaoh's court, he always rose to the top. Ah, that we could be that way. That we would always wind up, because of our character, because of the way we treat people, that we could wind up in good favor. Maybe not in quite the same way here, but uh, Joseph's whole demeanor and attitude, personality, and character led to these things. Verse 46, And when Joseph was 30 years old, or was 30 years old, when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went out throughout all the land of Mitzrayim. So, that's success pretty early in life. He'd been sold when he was 17. he spent some years, apparently, with Potiphar and rose to the top. Then he spent seven years in prison and came out, and Pharaoh put him immediately in charge of everything at the age of 30. Now, there are several lifetimes for you and me of all he'd been through. God is going to work with Joseph, and he's put him through good and bad and ugly, up, down, up, down, to train him, to teach him, to prepare him for what was ahead. And that's what God is doing with you and me. So let's understand that this story is for us here in the end time. And let's do everything we can to be like our fathers and certainly Joseph here because this country, this land, is of the tribe of Joseph, specifically Ephraim. So we are a bloodline kin to this man who was put in charge of all, of, uh, all Mitzrayim. Let's stop today then.